Marion University. Um, my name is Jeff Summers, and I am the high school pastor here at Perimeter. And I know you guys are really enjoying your conversation. It's okay, because we're going to let you jump right back into some discussion time. Um, I want to kind of set this up for you today, though, as we, as we get ready to uh, continue our series. We're in a four-week series on talking to your kids about difficult things. And today we're talking about drugs and alcohol use primarily, okay? How do, you, how do you do that? Should you do that? What are you supposed to say? And I have to be honest, okay, like right off the bat, I don't like necessarily talking about marijuana, for example. I've never smoked weed personally. I thought about, you know, Rip was like, you should get high before you come in here. Just, just to, as an example, you know. And we did think about spiking the donuts today. I mean, they feel like they already got something in them that makes you want to eat more, so... Um, so, but, but really we are talking about this and you say, well, why do we really have to talk about this? I mean, this is John's Creek. Do we really have a problem with weed? Yeah. I see some people going, yeah, we do. And it's true. We do. Uh, I can, I can think this morning I was like, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? And I, I can think probably every single year that I've been at perimeter, I'll get the phone call, uh, from a parent saying, Hey, I just found you know, marijuana cigarette in my son's sock drawer or something. You know, like, I don't, I don't know why the sock drawer, but, but they, they're hot. You know, it, it happens on a regular basis that great families, good, good people. I know the parents, you know, and you're just like, wow, how, how, do, how does this happen? So if you're sitting there thinking, well, this can't happen to me, it can happen to you because it's happened to almost every type of family I've seen around here. So um, it is a, a prevalent problem in our area uh, with the government. Uh, you know, now I think there's five states, including District of Columbia, which you think, well, that's, why do we want all our government officials smoking weed? I don't understand. May, I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing, but regardless, we're going to have a discussion about it. So there's some questions on your table. Uh, one is, uh, you can ignore the, the Bible verse one for now. We'll go through that when I come back up, but I want you to go through those questions and let's get our brain kind of working on this whole idea this morning of, um, drug and alcohol use, what do, we, what do we think? What do we know? How did, how did we grow up? What, what are the ways society looks at that? So you got some questions, and uh, go ahead and start by going over, over that this morning. All right. Um, hate to pull you guys away from your conversing here, but uh, just make sure we get through everything in time. Probably need to, need to move ahead. So hopefully it was an interesting conversation that you all were able to have around your tables about, about this subject. Um, I do think that uh, it definitely attitudes are changing in media. You know, I don't know if you, as the TV shows that you watch, none of you watch anything, you know, I'm sure are very risky. So you probably never see drug stuff on TV, but... Uh, there's a show, one of the things that's very interesting about the way attitudes are changing in society, and I'm always looking for subtle changes, okay? To me, when, when things in media come right out at you, I don't worry about those. I don't worry about those for our kids. I worry about subtle things because subtle things change attitudes without realizing it. And so one of the things, uh, we've been watching a show on Netflix this last year called Limitless, that was, uh, it's about a guy who takes a drug and his whole brain, you can use his whole brain, becomes like a genius. And I don't even know what channel it's normally on, but it was on Netflix. And 
What was interesting about it was the main character of the show uh, smoked weed every day. I mean, it was just like he was the star, he was the hero, and he came in and would, you know, pulled out his bong and like every day, that was just like how he, unwind, how he would unwind at the end of the day. And it was seen as normative. Like it was not, there was no stigma attached at all, okay? Now when you compare that, and I would say, I was talking to some of my staff and they were telling me of other shows that are like that. I think in a lot of shows, you'll see that more and more. Like, you know, you remember Friends was one of the first shows. I felt like people would be drinking a beer normally. Like it just, they would have a bottle of beer and they would talk and it just was like a normal part of the show. I think you'll see, you're going to see that more and more with marijuana. It's just going to become, and there's an agenda. Remember, everything on a TV show is on purpose. So you're going to see that happening more and more. Um, you compare that to Breakfast Club, okay, and that, that, now there may be a lot of better examples than that, the one that came to my mind. I remember Breakfast Club, okay, was, in Breakfast Club, was marijuana shown in a positive light? Yeah, it, right, right, they were definitely, it was, it was not shown in a negative way, but they knew they were doing something they weren't supposed to do. It was kind of that teenage rebellious, oh, we're doing something really risky here, right, and so just even think about that, the subtle difference in the way that's shown in two environments. So it's not, not shown negatively in either one of those environments, but in one, the one we grew up with, when marijuana was shown, it was always shown as kind of a risky, rebellious, you're doing something you shouldn't do. And now the way they're showing it, again, and this is the thing you want to pause the DVR when you're talking with your kids and say, oh, okay, notice this. They're showing this as just, this is fine. This is normal. This is the way we should act that uh, you know, that these things are the same. So just keep this in mind. Uh, some things you should know, uh, I've heard, not whether this is true or not, that marijuana is as easy to get or easier than alcohol in the school system. So at parties and things like that, if it's going to be around, there, there's a good chance, um, depending on the crowd, that that could be there. Um, it can be and usually is much stronger than when we were young. Uh, marijuana, they, because of the, well, there's lots of reasons, but you know, that just like we manipulate the wheat berry to make it, you know, more hardy and everything, they've been manipulating this. And especially now that it's legal, they're just going crazy, making it stronger and stronger and stronger. I, I, Rip said it was like, what, 130 times stronger or? In the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much stronger than, uh, than when we were young and then uh, vaping, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the uh, e-cigarettes and vaping, which a lot of people used to get off of regular cigarettes. Well, it didn't take them long to discover if you can deliver nicotine through a vape cigarette, you can deliver cannabis oil through a vape cigarette. And so if you're in a public place, especially at a concert or something, and you see people vaping, there's a really good chance they're vaping uh, marijuana in that, in that thing. So uh, I've talked to a friend of mine who's a businessman, and he goes out and entertains clients, and he said they would just be smoking marijuana all the time and vaping in public place at football games everywhere. And they're like, because you can't tell because it's just water vapor and it doesn't smell. So like all of the stuff that would normally keep that something you don't do in public is gone. So just to be aware of that delivery system is very popular now as well. Not in, not in vapes. I don't think it does. Yeah. I think you can, you can't really smell it. Um, all right. So as far as when we go looking at it, and you're as a parent saying, okay, how, how do we talk about this? Um, it's not in the Bible. Like, you're not going to get out your Bible concordance and be like, 
thou shalt not smoke marijuana. You know, you're not going to find it in there. And so that can make you feel a little ill-equipped for that. So the way I think that we need to talk about it is the Bible does talk about alcohol, though. So we can talk about this in terms of alcohol. And so looking at alcohol gives us some clue, and at least the biblical perspective, of how we should approach something like this, okay? Uh, I think in Bible, and I, now you have these sheets. These are kind of your cheat sheet. And there may be a lot more verses, just so you know, when I come up with one of these for y'all, that is me saying, here's some verses I thought of. There could be more, okay? But these are some that will help you in terms of this. So you have a case in the Bible for alcohol for moderation, okay? Now, I don't know, again, and when I'm standing up here in front of y'all, some of y'all might be teetotalers and you don't drink at all and no one drinks in your household and and you can make a case for that and we're going to make a case for that. And some of you may drink in moderation and we can make a case for that. Okay, some of you may drink to excess, and we can't make a case for that, but we're going to talk about that as we, as we go through here, okay? So the case for moderation, um, you have this from Psalm 104, where the psalmist is going through all these great things that God has given us, and he ends with, and you gave wine to gladden the heart of man as one of the, one of the gifts of God, okay? So wine is mentioned, and what's interesting is, you know, he, he said he gave wine to gladden the heart of man, like not that... Hey, and wine is just there to purify your water or whatever. No, he's saying wine makes you feel pretty good, and that's a gift from God. And so he mentions that in John 2, it is, you know, you have Jesus, the first miracle, right? He, he took stone jars and made 180 gallons, up to 180 gallons of really, really good wine. Um, that's kind of unusual if, uh, if alcohol was like a forbidden thing I think that's an unusual first miracle for Jesus to perform. Um, and then even you have this, this interesting line at the end where in verse 10, the wine steward says, everybody serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Even that statement is a statement that it's not everybody at the, everybody at the wedding wasn't having one glass of wine, right? There is you know that they're, they're, it's revelry, it's a celebration, it's, it, it is happening, okay? So um, Matthew 11, Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus is comparing himself in contrast to John the Baptist in this passage. Okay, so John the Baptist was very strict, didn't drink, no alcohol, nothing, you know, lived out, where wore the the camel hair, and was very strict and stringent about everything. And Jesus, by contrast, was hanging out with tax collectors at parties, right? And clearly he was drinking because they couldn't say, you're a drunkard, if Jesus were to be like, wait a second, I've never had a drop. He doesn't ever say that. He says, you're accusing me of being a drunkard, and I'm not. So, again, you have this, this picture of the God of the universe, right, who walked as a man hanging out uh, at parties. So... You have that, again, built in this case. So wine is a, is a part of our sacraments, right? It's, it's one of the main things in the Lord's Supper. Now, again, we grow up in the, the, a Baptist culture. We use grape juice so as not to offend anybody. But if you go to other PCA churches, even in this city, you, they'll have real wine in the, in the sacrament. Um, and one reason we don't do it is it's expensive, honestly. <laughs> you know? Let's have wine. We're going to have this communion for 3,000 people. You know, you're loading up a few cases there of wine just to do that. Um, so there's a practical aspect for churches not to have wine. Uh, 
Wine is often shown as a sign in Scripture of the coming kingdom, okay? It's a part of the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a great podcast that um, Tim Keller does, if you look at his free podcasts on iTunes, and he's got one on on the first miracle of Jesus and the wine and and all the symbolism. He could do it much better than me, so I I would recommend that. Um, Isaiah 25 is one of those that, that mentions this. He says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. So, you know, this is this picture. The kingdom is coming, and when it does, it's going to come with amazing food, and it's going to come with wine. Okay, so you have this, this again is this idea or argument. Now, so there's the argument for alcohol certainly is shown in a positive light in Scripture. Now, the negative side, alcohol is shown in a very negative way in Scripture. Um... You have a case for abstinence in Romans 14. I've heard Randy preach on this. It's great. Um, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble in what he eats. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. For the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because... The eating is not from faith, for whatever does not produce from faith is sin. So, you know, the, the argument here for completely abstaining is just, you know, let's, there's a lot of mess that comes with alcohol too, right? And, and to just take an abstinence view is the safest way to go across the board, right? You're not going to cause anybody to stumble. You're not going to make bad decisions because of it. You know, it's expensive. We already went over that, right? Like, and there's, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a good case there for just avoiding it altogether. And I know a lot of people who do, they have freedom in Christ. They could drink alcohol, but they choose not to. Um, and so uh, I just was talking to a friend of mine who is from Egypt, and he's like, you know, it just, it's just too big a deal in the Muslim culture, and so the Christians just don't, most of them, you know, don't drink just because they want to avoid it altogether. So there's a good argument for that as well. Um, when you go into, you know, that that is the safest position, you look at Proverbs This is from Proverbs 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has the redness of the eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red. When it is sparkling in the cup, it goes down smooth. But in the end, it bites like a serpent. And it stings like an adder. And then Proverbs 20. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So we know this... uh, as adults in here, right, alcohol causes problems. It impairs judgment. Um, probably if, if some of us in this room are drinkers, you can think of a time when you were drinking that you did not make the best decision, okay, at some point in your life. So we know that it impairs judgment. It can cause, cause issues. So the Bible kind of teaches this, you know, as, as a Christian, we have this idea, I think, of respecting both. Like if you choose to drink, you shouldn't judge those who don't. And if you choose not to drink, you shouldn't be in judgment of those who do. Um, We have this passage from 1 Corinthians 6, which says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And I think that is a great rule of thumb for us as well. If we do partake of alcohol, you know, making sure that it doesn't dominate our life, that it's not controlling, that it's not, you know, that it's not something that... um, has a hold of us more than we have a hold of it. And then how, question that I have for you is how do you model this, okay? How are you modeling 
alcohol use at home. Because again, our kids are catching more than they're listening, right? They're watching us more than, than what they hear us say. Um, and so the way we do that is going to inform, like if you, you know, if you have a bottle of wine every night and then your son comes home and says, I smoked a joint, your case for arguing against them, they might say, well, mom, you know, that, that can be difficult, right? Um, depending on how we're modeling that particular thing. Uh, following the law of the land only gets you so far. I think like for us in youth ministry, when we talk to students about alcohol use specifically, we always say, you know, I always say, you know, I can say one thing for sure. I say, obey your parents because they're your main authority in your life, depending on how you handle that at home. Then I say, it's illegal for you regardless. (laughs) So right now it's illegal and I can say that. But see, if I'm equipping them for life, illegality only gets me so far, right? And so that is why I think it's important to know why you believe what you believe and that you teach through that. Uh, And again, I've given you some of these verses. Hopefully that can help you. Uh, to communicate that effectively with your kids. So getting into the marijuana thing, that's where it gets really tricky, though, because you say, okay, even if you are like, okay, I do drink alcohol, and I think in moderation it's okay, what do we do with marijuana if it's legal in Georgia in five years, which I think that's very possible, okay? If it's already in five states, every year you know they're going to chip away. Unless, unless the president or the Congress comes forward and makes it illegal somehow, it's going to happen, so I still, I personally don't think I want to sit around and my son just smoking a joint when he's 25. I think that would make me feel kind of uncomfortable and I, you know, but it's, so how are we going to talk about this? And, and I think the main argument comes from Ephesians 5, which is, and Paul is kind of speaking pretty clearly here. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Um, this idea of intoxication is kind of the key with the whole alcohol argument. You know, we talk about alcohol in moderation, but the Bible is pretty strict on saying, hey, if A, if it controls you, so there's an addiction issue there, and B, if you're just getting wasted all the time, that is, you're, you're not walking in, within the bounds of Scripture, what they would say is okay. So with marijuana, the idea, you're altering the state of your mind, right? Um, you are using that as a, as a way to cope. You know, you're using that as a way to relax or, you know, whatever you want to say. Uh, and, and you could make the same argument for that. So, so altering your state, we serve a God of order and not of disorder. Okay? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, right out of the gate, it says, And the, wor- the world was void and formless, right? And the Spirit hovered over the waters of the deep. So you have this idea of chaos. It starts right out of the Bible, right out of the gate. Chaos was there. There was nothing. And then God started ordering it. Genesis 1, you know, he created the, the light from the dark. He starts to put everything in order. He, we serve a God who is moving us from disorder to order in our lives. God, in fact, God never is like lose control, just go crazy. It, the God that we serve. Now think of how in contrast that was in ancient times, especially with ancient religions, when their pagan worship rites and things like that, were they like, oh, let's just get all serious and ordered and laws. No, it was more like, hey, debauchery, orgy, and that's worship, right? Especially in ancient Rome and Greek, uh, worship types were very much in contrast with this idea of the Hebrew idea of worship and a God who provided order. And so I think this is our, our biggest way of talking about this in terms of, you know, 
losing control, going from order to disorder in our minds, turning to God to meet our needs and not to a substance, you know, is what, is what the goal is. And, that, and we can say that with alcohol or marijuana, right, when it comes to that, if that's our coping mechanism. So the other thing I want you to think about is what pressures do you think are driving students to smoke in the first place or turn to alcohol? I mean, again, you could use the argument either way. That's something that if what is, you know, what pressures are they under? What are they facing? What are the things that's driving them to smoke in the first place or to turn to some substance? And how do you address that? Because that's the hard issue that's happening here. Um, if it's acceptance, if it's a peer pressure issue, right, then they, what they want is acceptance. And, I, you know, I tend to think for a lot of students that could be it. You know, like their friend group where they feel accepted and loved, if someone's partaking there, they're like, oh, well, in order to continue to fit into this group, I need to conform. So it's not necessarily, oh, my parents are awful. I've got this pressure at home. You know, they might go into it very easily like that. It could be a pressure driving them. Our kids are under a lot of pressure. Okay. Uh, So there is that aspect as well. So I'm not saying medicating isn't what they're going after, but I'm saying it doesn't even necessarily have to be that initially. So having that talk about acceptance Having that talk about how do you deal with pressure, having that talk about how do we turn to the Lord with our issues instead of turning to something else, that, that can be an important conversation um, that we have, you know, at this, at this time. Um, now, it, as far as society goes, you know, we can make a case. It, it's, it's having another intoxicant like alcohol that's now legal and is going to – probably not the greatest thing for our society – whether you think marijuana is harmless or not, you know, we're just, because you could, they did outlaw alcohol years ago, and then it was too much trouble, and they, and they brought it back. So, so you know, but, but again, these arguments for society's sake can be slippery, you know, in, the, in regards to that. Um, I did want to ask Dave to come and to share briefly uh, some of the, some of the, Dave's a psychologist, so he's up on all the studies of what marijuana does to the brain and so on. So uh, Rip's bringing you a, a mic here. But, yeah, so we were talking about this the other night, and so Dave was like, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, ooh, that's good. I think you need to share that. Yeah. All right. Is that on? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So, so just, just a second why, why I'm up here. So I'm a, I'm a professional counselor, and, and in my – civilian life, what I do is I specialize in substance abuse treatment. I work with the Gwinnett County Courts um, as the manager for the DUI and drug court programs. I've been doing substance abuse counseling for a long time now. Um, so, so it's an interesting question, though, when we look at, at, at the impact of, of marijuana on the adolescent brain. We're going to look at the adolescent brain here just for a moment. Now, one thing we want to be careful about is um, there are a lot, there's, there's a lot of chicken or the egg issues that kind of come up with here. So, for example, if we say, hey, um, a lot of kids who smoke weed get kicked out of school, does that mean they get kicked out of school because they're smoking weed? Or does that mean that kids who have other issues that lead them to get kicked out of school have a tendency to also smoke marijuana? So we want to be careful with that. And, and look, because when you talk to your kids about marijuana, if you say, oh, if you're smoking marijuana, maybe you'll get kicked out of school, they're not really going to respect that because they're smart, <laughs> all right? So, so they'll start to pick that up. So we want to look specifically at what goes on with the brain. Another issue that we have here is um, n- brains do not compare well to one another. 
different brains based upon based upon actually uh, biological factors, DNA, genetic factors, plus previously envir- previous environmental factors, including um, the the uh, the prenatal environment, um, including lots of social factors, things like that. They change vulnerability. So not every adolescent brain is the same, which is why you can have some people who start smoking weed when they're 13 or 14, they continue smoking weed, and they don't ever experience any negative consequences. And that's true. And you can look out there, you can probably name a handful of celebrities who are well-known potheads, and they seem to be doing okay, and your kids probably know who they are, and they are doing okay. Okay, Joe Rogan, for example, is doing fine, and, and he's a pothead, and it's, smoking weed doesn't seem to have affected him negatively. Here's the trick, though. You don't know the impact that marijuana is going to have on a developing adolescent brain until the kids start smoking weed. Okay, that's the test of the impact of the drug on the brain is once you start using it. And that's not a great test, right? But that's the truth. So, so as the brain is starting to develop, if you start adding marijuana, then you can tell whether somebody's vulnerable to it or not. But at that point, they start to experience some of the consequences. So I'm going to talk through just a, a few... A few of those. So first of all, one of the things you want to understand about weed specifically is it's different than most of the other drugs of abuse because it's fat-soluble, right? So most of the other drugs, so let's say you use cocaine or you use opiates or benzodiazepines or alcohol. Um, when your body breaks those down, it, 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 they're water-soluble, okay? So it breaks them down and, and you kind of just urinate them out, which is why the, uh, the drug stays in your system for a relatively short period of time. Marijuana is fat-soluble. It's broken down in your fat cells. And that's why um, if you smoke weed and you get a drug test, you can, you can have a positive drug screen for, I've seen, 45 days after last uh, marijuana use because it stays in your brain. And guess where a lot of those fat cells are? Or rather, it stays in your fat cells. Guess where a lot of those fat cells are? They're in your brain. So that ongoing effect of cannabis use stays there in your brain often long after you got high, right? So... I don't want to see a show of hands, but some of you smoked weed, right? And if you smoke... We know who you are, too. Yeah, you know who you are. So if you smoke, your high is going to last a period of time, right? It's going to last a little while. Maybe you're going to be high for an hour, maybe a couple hours, depending on what you're smoking, something like that. But then the high goes away. So they did a study, and and they used what they call government-grade marijuana. So the government grows marijuana. Um, It's in Alabama. Great. Okay, they do. It's in Alabama, and they grow it for these kind of tests, right? Because they can't go score it off the streets. So, so they grow it, but the strands of marijuana that the government grows are older strands of marijuana. So they're lower, lower levels of THC than what you'll generally find in somebody's pocket over at the high school. Um, it's, uh, it's a lower grade, but what they did is they got fighter pilots, and they got them, they got them to, to use marijuana, and then they put them in a flight, flight simulator, and they identified, and, and this is kind of obvious, after they smoked weed, their reaction time in this, fight, in this flight simulator had dropped, right? But nobody's shocked about that because they just got high. And then what they did is they retested them about two hours later, and they found their, their high had gone down significantly. A lot of them weren't really reporting a whole lot of feeling, but their reaction time was still rather poor. So then they brought them back 24 hours after the use of marijuana. Now, those of you who have ever used marijuana, 24 hours later, you don't feel high. Okay? You, don't feel, you don't feel high at all. There's no impact at all. The reaction times on the flight, the flight simulator they found were still reduced 
versus their average reaction times. Okay, why is that? It's because the marijuana was still there in their brain. They didn't feel the impact of the marijuana. They weren't high anymore. They hadn't been high for more than 20 hours. But the impact of the marijuana in terms of the slowing of the processing in the brain was still present. And that's where it really gets tricky with the weed, is it's affecting you when, when you're not feeling it anymore. You look at other drugs. For example, you look at alcohol. If you drink, if you drink a couple glasses of wine, something like that, you know it, right? But six hours later... You're not feeling drunk, depending on how much you drink. Um, six hours later, you're not feeling drunk. Six hours later on marijuana, you're not feeling high either, but it's still affecting the information processing. So that's where it can get rather tricky. So you look at the subjectivity of the brain and how this affects it. Well, first of all, you have this kind of slowed information processing, and that slowed information processing can last a long, long time, can even be permanent. So there are some studies, there are studies done out of Australia, where they were looking at people who had been smoking marijuana um, at any point previously in, your, in their life, and they were studying IQ scores. And through this study, as they eliminated other factors like um, uh, educational factors, social environmental factors, just trying to identify and isolate marijuana, they, they identified that marijuana use could lead to an IQ score reduction of approximately six points. Now, that's about the same as lead exposure. Okay, so think about that for a moment. So if you have somebody who's been smoking marijuana for a period of time, later on in life, when we're going down years, you can have a reduction similar to lead exposure. Once again, this isn't for all kids. You have some who use it and they don't experience any drop at all, but you don't know if they don't smoke. That's the trick. Now we're looking again specifically at the adolescent developing brain. One thing we've discovered over the course of the last couple of years is that the brain continues to develop until you're moving in toward your late 20s. So what they used to say is your brain's pretty much cooked by the time you're like 16, 18, something like that. That's not the case, especially your frontal cortex continues to develop. This is why people in their early 20s, I'm sorry, anybody here in their early 20s, kind of, you know, not really functioning great sometimes. Because um, oh, your know. brain's still working. Your brain's still developing at that point. Well, um, that the impact of, of marijuana on the developing brain versus the impact on the, call it, developed brain are rather different. So in the adolescent brain, you have that, you have that potential loss in terms of IQ points. The other thing that happens is uh, ongoing cannabis use is going to decrease the volume of the amygdala in some people who use it. Now, the amygdala is the part of your brain that's involved with information processing, Right? Um, or rather emotional processing. So, so your, uh, and it's also involved with, with reward seeking. Now, what, what happens when the amygdala reduces, it's going to affect the emotional functioning of that person who experiences that reduction. So that's where we see some of the symptoms of ongoing mar of marijuana use. And the first one is the, kind of the classic one. It's what we call amotivational syndrome, which is exactly kind of what it sounds like. This is why the hippies didn't really accomplish much. Um, what happens with ongoing amotivational syndrome is that amygdala de decreases and then it's very hard for the person to really want to do anything, right? So the person who's smoking a lot of weed, they're going to have a lot of dreams and ideas. I want to go do this. I want to solve the problems of the world, things like that. But what they do is not very much at all, right? That's amotivational syndrome. And that's a, that comes, at least in part, from that reduction in size of the amygdala. That's in the developing brain. That's the, the, the amotivational. That makes me think all our teenagers are already smoking. It kind of looks like that. It kinda <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah, it kind of looks like that. But, but again, but this, this is something that lasts a long time. Um, another, another phenomenon is what we call anhedonia. Okay? Anhedonia is a, uh, kind of a, a, a mild to moderate level of depression. 
right, that just kind of persist. It's not, not what we might call like a cl- classic clinical depression. Um, it's not necessarily linked to suicidality or something like that. It's just blah for a long time without really changing, and that's just how they feel. And that, again, is linked to that emotional process. It's that long-term anhedonia that, that makes it very difficult to kind of do things. And we're talking about something that continues to last into adulthood here, even after you've stopped smoking. So the impact that it's made on the amygdala continues to have long-term effects. And this is one of the things that kids need to understand, is this isn't neutral. It's not like you say, oh, man, I was smoking weed and now I feel bad. But if I quit smoking weed and I give a little bit of time when I've been sober, then that's going to go away. And the developing brain, the impact is more significant on the developed br- than on the developed brain. So that reduction size of the amygdala doesn't go away. What they actually have to do and what we do in recovery programs is we have to teach them how to function with the brain they ended up with, and then, which they can do, but it's not easy, and you do not want them dealing with those consequences. Mm. Um, the next thing uh, that's scary, it's a minority, but it's real, is schizophrenia. Okay, and and I don't want to be you know you know too histrionic uh, about it, but the reality is that if a person has a predilection to some kind of mental health issue, especially schizophrenia, so you have a kid who's maybe kind of a weird kid, um, has never has never been diagnosed with schizophrenia. They don't have hallucinations. They don't don't do things like that, but they have at some point like a like a genetic predisposition to possibly become schizophrenic and they start smoking marijuana, that'll turn that switch in some kids. And once again, you don't know in, if, if you have the switch until you hit the switch. So what I've actually seen in my own practice is I've seen people who, when they're about 18, 19 years old, they decide to start smoking weed. Before that, they never experience symptoms of schizophrenia. They start smoking weed, and they become full-blown schizophrenics. Again, that's not that's a minority. Okay, We're looking at, like, like maybe a one, less than 1% kind of situation. Um, but it's still something you want to be aware of. It's something you want to be, be, be very careful about. And it's something that kids need to be aware of. We, we don't want to be all, you know, scared of weed kind of situation. They're not going to respect that. But I've seen it happen. And, uh, and it's scary. And then the final thing is, is the classic gateway drug issue. So I've worked with a lot of drug addicts. Okay? I've worked with a lot of heroin addicts. I've worked with a lot of coke addicts. And here's my experience. Um, The most common drug of abuse out there in the world, without question at all, is alcohol. But if I work with somebody whose drug of choice is cocaine, whose drug of choice is opiate, something like that, the strong majority of them, like I'm going to say 95%, I haven't done a survey, but I'm going to say about that, if I ask them, what was the first drug that you used? The first drug that they used was cannabis. A lot of the time, the first drug prior to alcohol use was cannabis, Okay? They start smoking weed. Now, they didn't necessarily love weed. Some of them really loved weed, and they might stick with it. But what they do is they start triggering that part of their brain, and, what they, and they fail to develop some of the coping skills that we really need to use in order to function as adults. They, they don't learn how to do that, so, but they do learn how to get high, and they learn how to change their emotional state through a substance. And they do it for a while, but weed, it's not working really well. But then somebody gives them some uh, Oxycontin. Or uh, then somebody gives them some methamphetamine, right? Or somebody gives them some cocaine. And that, boy, that sucker works. And they will transfer. So this idea of the gateway drug really is a thing. Um, 
if it works, if cannabis is starting to work, or at least that change in emotional state is starting to work, once another thing is introduced, the opportunity to continue to get high, to reduce the number of tools they develop in their toolkit, to develop the emotional complexity of being a teenager, which is, which is obviously hard, all of those kind of things, well, that, that, that drops. They really don't develop those abilities. And then, and then we end up where we are. Hmm. Okay. Make sense? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Very informative. Um, I'm going to ask Cammie to go ahead and come up here and share with her. I've got to go down and do worship, Pastor, so she's going to uh, pray you out at the end here. Hey, guys. Um, and Dave, I'm sure, will be around here afterwards if you have any questions for him. Yeah. Clearly, he's a wealth of information. So uh, take it over, Cammie. Yeah, so are you all all terrified now? <laughs> Okay, well, I hope that what I have to say is helpful. Um, I want to come and confess that I'm an addict. No, you wouldn't know it necessarily looking at me. But every morning I get up and I want to have a fix. And it's an, it's an acceptable addiction. But nonetheless, my addiction to sugar has controlled my 44 years. And it's something that I've never gone without on a conscious day. So I've had sugar every single day. Um, and I became aware of this addiction to sugar last summer when I did, with Stephanie, I did a program called, I have to read it, Way Less to Feed More. And that study really brought to light this addiction. And it annoyed me and convicted me. And I pretty much hated it. <laughs> I remember having a time of prayer with God and saying, and, and having, hearing God say, you know, not out loud through a burning bush, but, but in my heart saying, um, hey, we need to talk about that addiction to sugar. And I went, can't we talk about that later? <laughs> you know, I didn't want to talk. I didn't, I liked my addiction, and I really wasn't interested in change because I would quote that great scripture, all things are permissible. <laughs> Does God really care about my intake of sugar or alcohol or whatever? If I'm not a heroin addict on the street, you know, that's kind of the picture of addiction that we see in our heads. Um, and if that's not the case, if no one can see my addiction, then can I indulge in these small ways? Aren't there more important things to worry about? But again, the verse that Jeff gave you guys in 1 Corinthians says, but not all things are helpful. I will not be dominated by anything. And that includes alcohol, marijuana, and even sugar. Um, what we have to teach our teens is that all of our hearts will run to anything other than God. And so we can talk about marijuana or alcohol or sugar or any addiction. And really, why do people do those things? Why do people smoke or drink? Why do I want sugar all the time? Because a brownie won't ask anything of me, right? Like, it doesn't require me. Sugar is a, is a great, it's an easy master it doesn't want me to sacrifice or submit. Um, it just wants me to be happy in that moment to get those endorphins. And that's all the alcohol and marijuana question is about, right? Like it's happiness in a moment. Um, sugar has been an idol of my heart because I haven't been willing to do without it. But in recent weeks, um, Jesus has shown me the joy that comes from submitting even my sugar intake to his lordship. He has shown me that addiction is not a question of diet or habit. It's an issue of our hearts. 
So in our culture, it's hard to tell ourselves no when things we're reaching for aren't dangerous like a Coke or a cookie. But my teen is watching. They see when I skip dinner and ha- for a sugary drink. They watch me get up in the morning and grab a brownie for breakfast. Yes, I've done that. Don't judge. We'll judge maybe. I don't know. Um, I am wise enough to say you can't do that, right? Like I'll say you have to eat your green beans and you have to have a reasonable breakfast. But then when I want to talk to them, I mean, I love what Dave and Jeff were saying. You know, when I want to talk to them and say, don't be dominated by anything, do I, can I really say that I'm living that? If there's something on any given day I can't do without, as we talk to our kids about these things, I think we first have to examine, oh, wait, I wanted to say this other thing. Um, I want to be a model for my kids about depending on God. I want them to see me not running to a bottle or a box, but to my Bible and getting on my knees before him when life seems overwhelming. I want all of my life to be submitted to his lordship, even my sugar. And that, you know, we've talked about here about feeling like failures and feeling like it's overwhelming task of parenting, right? And battling addiction in our hearts is we need Jesus. We need Jesus to tell ourselves no, whether it be for a glass of wine or brownie for breakfast (laughs) or whatever, Um, We need Jesus to battle the idols of our heart, and that is exactly what our teens need, too. As we talk to our kids about these things, I think we first have to examine our own hearts and share with our teens the real struggle to live our lives in submission to God. It isn't easy, right? Um, We have to teach them the dangers of running to anything the world promises will help. I'm stressed. Eat a cookie. I'm overwhelmed. Have a glass of wine. I want to fit in. Have a joint. You know, it's, it's all idols of the heart. Or even, I want to be beautiful, so work out all the time. That can be just another form of addiction. Um, the lies of this world are effective because they work. They will give a temporary satisfaction. But Jesus wants us to have more than a temporary joy or a temporary high. He wants us to have eternal joy. So, all that to be said... All of the kids in this room, represented by parents, will struggle with idolatry, some form or another. It might be drugs or alcohol. It might be sugar. It might be something else. But our God is mighty, and he can tear down the strongholds, and we are not without hope. And as I was praying for you guys this morning and just praying for those in this room who will, whose kids will struggle with addiction to alcohol or drugs, I mean... Given the numbers, somebody in this room, that will be true. And we're called as a body to walk the road with y'all. And so the community that God gives us is really important. And we can always point our kids towards Christ, for he is the one that has the power. Um, Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we all have idols in our hearts idols that take the place of you. Um, It is easier to run to a brownie some days than it is to run to you. And we confess that we are poor models for our kids 
most days. Um, And we need more of you. So I pray for each person here. I pray that you would open our eyes to see our own addictions, that those addictions would be brought into submission to you, that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would give us strength to overcome, and that as we overcome, that we might be able to truly point our kids to you and your power and your love for them. And I do pray for protection for the kids, for all of our kids, that you would put a hedge around them and that alcohol and drugs would not be a temptation to them. But for those that it will, I pray that your power would be stronger than the power of that drug and that they would see you and their need for you in the journey that you take them on. And I pray for us as parents that we would teach well, that we would honor you, and that we would pray faithfully for our kids, and that we would always point them towards you in whatever situation, when they are bowing their knee to any idol that they choose, that we would always point them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.